Welcome to another episode of the PhotoFacts Podcast. I'm Jim Felder. I'm Robert Treywick. Hello there, Robert. Wow, was that the 7-Up commercial? The... Uh, almost. Yeah. It was pretty good. It was pretty good. So welcome to another episode of the PhotoFacts Podcast. What, what is the theme for June? What, we, did, did we talk about this? Well, today we're going to talk about headshots. That's right. So we kind of just went off tangent on the on the monthly theme. Well, why don't you tell us what you've been doing, and I'm going to look up the, the theme. Okay, so what, what I've been doing is working, shooting houses and pretty girls. I got to do that yesterday with Robert. No, actually, we had a, a denim <laughs> challenge. The denim challenge, I think yes. we talked about it last one or two episodes ago when we interviewed David Anthony, um, the fashion photographer. But uh, we decided, Robert decided to have a denim challenge. So we did that yesterday. We had a bunch of models out, kind of uh, starting out models, and they all wore, wore denim. And uh, well, well and let's talk about several that. photographers, and, and let's see what photographers actually listen to. Right? Us. Yeah. Okay. If you so were there yesterday. Yeah. Let us there, know. Let us so know. You, ha- you have to send us an email. Yes, absolutely. So you know, the denim challenge was if you go back a couple of episodes and listen to David Anthony. Uh, he kind of, he didn't really challenge us, but he made a comment about, uh, denim never goes out of style. So if you got a, an attractive model and he made the comment about putting her in a cow pasture in the middle mm-hmm. of Oklahoma right. with a face, like she doesn't care, stepping in a cow patty, uh, that you could make that an editorial. Yeah. And, uh, so we decided to get some models, get some photographers and, uh, you know, show some of those guys in New York that, Hey, us, us Oklahoma people got some fashion skills. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to, I'm going to be honest with you, Jim. Um, I feel like I failed. I, I feel the same way. I, uh, you know, we had some good talent there that had denim. And I'm, I want to say a shout out to Jenny. Okay. Oh, yeah. Because she, did you see the jumpsuit that she borrowed from Bad Grannies? So mm. she brought a jumpsuit. Who wore it? I, I don't know who wore it because oh. I was shooting somebody else. But Oh, okay. Um, I was I was hoping you wouldn't. It was from 1970. It's authentic, oh, yeah. original from 1970, and it's like I can totally see like some hippie wearing that at like Woodstock. Yeah, who now who announced that from the beginning when they said we're going to go get some 70s? Was that you or J- uh, Terry? No, no, I think that was um, I think that was uh, Jenny. Jenny was the one that got it from Bad Grand. Dorsey. Yeah. Okay. Dorsey. And then, of course, a big shout-out to, to Jamie for bringing oh, her no trailer kidding. for all the girls to change in. Yeah. That was convenient, although it did take away some of the show that we were looking forward to. But. <laughs> yeah. But I did tell all the girls to wear Spanx to make changing easier. Right. Okay. So, uh, but honestly, I had a plan in my head. I had some thoughts on how I wanted to approach it. I wanted to shoot it with a wide-angle lens, and I wanted to frame the model with the gene material where at least 50 to 60% of the gene material was in the shot. So I did some where like Ashley, um, is it Ashley Nicole at uh, Nikki, Ashley, Nikki, short girl. Yeah. Her, right. She had her boyfriend, had there. a boyfriend there. Yeah. Yes. He's actually in, I think in uh, air guard oh, cool. and I had her like extend her hands out towards me. So I laid oh, yes, the wide angle mm-hmm. on her, on her arms so that her, arms led up to her face and of course with the wide angle it made her face really far away right you know that's that's the effect yeah that's the effect but um uh, after doing that a few times with different models i felt like i wasn't getting what i wanted Mm -hmm. um i also had another shot where i wanted to shoot through the arm 
as they were putting the jacket on. Oh, yeah. And, uh, well, you know, dummy me. Not enough light inside of a jacket arm that's made out of denim. It's kind of dark. <laughs> it just looked like a hole. Yeah. So uh, we're going to have to do that again to try to oh, make that de- happen. Oh, definitely. And I, I feel like I didn't uh, succeed what I wanted to do. I ended up just taking pictures of, of pretty girls, and that's what that's what David said. Don't don't make it that. Yeah, don't make it that, and that's exactly what we did. Yeah. So, so okay, David, uh, this isn't done, FYI. No, that's our first round. That's and, the first round. Yeah. Because in Oklahoma, we get several rounds. <laughs> uh, okay, so looking at the schedule, just to let everybody know, we have uh, Gary Hughes. We're going to bring him on here shortly, talk about headshots. And for July is the money month, baby. Oh, yeah, M- numbers and number yeah, crunching. Yeah, so CPA, pricing, taxes, and um, Instagram and Facebook adverts. I don't know if that's a good word for me or not, adverts. Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. sounds great. Good. And then uh, I have... Um, I've been composing an email to send out to the vendors for August and September. Yeah. And we're going to hit up the vendors for Nikon, Canon, Sony, Fujifilm, Olympus, Sigma, Tamron, and Tokina. However, we may have to take one of those off. Mm, yes. Do you remember the email? I do remember that. Sunday in my reading, uh, looks like Olympus is actually selling their camera division. And yeah. I, I don't know, I don't under, I didn't understand it because there was a couple of different stories. It's like they're selling it to this Japan imaging group. I would bet that Gary Hughes can answer that for us. Well, we're gonna have to get him on here and have him <laughs> do that. All right, so let's bring Gary on, and Gary is unmuted. Hey, hey guys, hello, 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 hello. 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 Hi, guys. How's it going? Thanks for having me on the show. <laughs> so do you uh, do you know anything about that, Gary, the Olympus story? Sorry, I was not paying attention no, to what okay. you were talking about. I was um, <laughs> looking at porn. Oh. Talking. Well, uh, internet is for porn. No, just kidding. Uh, I have three children, and mostly I was just leaning out the door of my office just yelling at them to be quiet. <laughs> you mean you were so not taking photos? You hear uh, little, three little girls running around screaming in the background briefly. My, You know that my... My amazing wife is trying very hard to corral them all so that I can do this show with you guys tonight. You know what? It's it's totally fine. It's not going to matter because we've got dogs barking sometimes in every show, and you know there's, there's. It's all good, Terry. My wife was in the backyard earlier cutting some panels with a circular saw, and she walks in and says, "Okay, I'm done cutting for right now. You guys can go live." I'm like, oh, appreciate it. Thank you for the applause. Thank you, dear. Very Thank nice. Thank you, dear. Okay, so do you know anything about this Olympus that uh, they've announced that they're selling off? their camera or imaging division? Yeah, I think the brand is going to live on. Just somebody else is going to own it now. Okay. I think that the the overhead probably was higher. You know, they blame smartphones like every other camera company and, and for their dip in sales. And they're probably not wrong, although I think that that part of that is suspect. I just think the technology has changed so much. Um, you know, but Olympus isn't going to go away. It's just going to be owned by somebody else. And in all likelihood, it'll, it'll just be a smaller, more lightweight and agile camera company. Um, you know, worst case scenario is they pro- somebody probably will sell it for bits and parts. Like they'll sell their whatever division to whoever, but more than likely, you know, they make really solid micro four third sensors cameras that have a very big following, especially with nature photographers. So, uh-huh. you know, they, they've got an audience, they've got a brand name recognition. Um, so they'll, they'll keep going at least for a while. It'll just be run by somebody else. Huh. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I didn't. I didn't know that because we've got a friend that just uh, that's an Olympus shooter. We just uh, 
started hanging out with, and she's. Uh, we tried to switch her to Fuji. We tried, yeah. And she said no. Yeah. You can't do it. If there's one group of people that are more culty than Fuji people, it's it's Olympus people. Like if you think Fuji is a cult, try those Olympus people. They will die with an <laughs> OMD Mark Four Seven QR Two P Thirty Two Seventeen in their hand. Um, yeah, they do that, have some long names. The Olympus don't they? people, and they are they are hardcore. Yeah, they're they're pretty crazy. All okay, right. so Gary Hughes is based out of Florida, and he's a headshot photographer, and he does he does volume, you know, most of that is volume, but he does do other things like like all of us have to do, right? So uh, we Race wanted to talk kids. about we wanted to talk about all things headshots, but we don't know where it's going to go. You know, is it going to go volume? Is it going to go studio? You know, one. Well, I mean, that's, that's a good question to start with. So Gary does headshots, but we had a conversation, Gary, about basically your business model and you're a very successful headshot photographer, but are you a successful headshot photographer because of the area that you service? Like, you know, how would your business transpose if you had to go to say, Oklahoma City or Kansas City or Memphis, which is, doesn't really have that much of a com- convention area. How do you think that your business model would, would uh, survive or thrive if you had to go to a different market? Um, I'm only going to answer questions from Jim because uh, oh! he always told me that he didn't like my lighting. So oh! if you have any questions, uh, Robert, please direct them to Jim so that he can ask them to me. Uh, so oh. I'm just going to pretend that Jim asked me that last question because he's the one that I like. Uh, so oh, that's I, think, that. I think Gary I know, just remembers that. <laughs> I think in he all, did. In, in all seriousness, it's, it's, it's true that every market will support businesses differently. There are some things that translate universally, like every market you could probably find some high-end portrait studios, and but not every market has you know, volume headshot potential, or at least not enough to, but that for that to be your entire business. And so at least before COVID-19 happened, the vast majority of my volume headshot business was based around corporate events. And Orlando ha- had, you know, like 50,000 uh, corporate uh, event visitors a week. So we have just, you know, loads and loads of people coming here every week to, it's like the number one or two, depending on the year destination for business tourism, because we have, so much to offer um, as, a, as a community. And so, yes, that gives me the advantage on certain types of things. But every community, every market, not every market, but most markets have some type of business community that you can serve. Although the smaller markets, you do need to diversify a little bit more. I do think the larger your market is, um, the more you can specialize. I think the only exception to that might be You'd have to be in a really small town to not be able to just be a wedding photographer because weddings just seem to be, you know, happening all the time. Some people get married two, three times even. But uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah, Orlando does feed a a portion of my business. Probably about 40% of my business is volume or event-based photography. And so, yes, absolutely it is something, but it doesn't mean that you can't make money in volume headshots. Probably the best return on investment in headshot photography are small to medium sized businesses where you can go photograph 30 or 40 people in just a couple of hours and you can make a lot of money and be back at the studio before lunch. Yeah. Well, I want to, I want to point out one, one thing that I'm almost afraid to tell you, uh, in the last, I don't know. Sorry, Robert. Is that Robert talking? No, 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 no. no. This is your, this is your new hero. So in the last two years of doing the episodes at my house, mostly, this is the first time I have seen Jim Felder actually pull out and take notes. Oh, 
Oh boy. Well, oh boy. I usually do it on my phone, but not even. You oh, know. dude, you have not done it like forever. My God. As soon as Gary started talking, his pen started flying. I was like, what are you doing over there? It's, it's means like a lot. It means a lot to me because that know, is that I, is absolutely throw a crunch him under the bus. He's the sweetest man alive, and you, Robert, are the worst. <laughs> I so, yeah. I am definitely the bane of your existence. Oh, I no, no, you're not a blip on my radar. I I never think of you, but oh, the occasion where, you, where I do think of you, I just think, God, that guy's the worst. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I never even got a hello or a thank you when I sent you that Star Wars T-shirt. You sent me a Star Wars T-shirt. Dude, yeah, like last year, year for last. No, it was last year, 2018. Oh, I thought that was Jim. Maybe you are the one that I like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I don't remember you telling me that, Robert. Dude, we were in the store <laughs> together. Remember? And I was like, oh, my Which God, store? Gary would love this. Which store? Oh, God, what? We were on. We we're actually on a road trip. Uh-huh. We were on a road trip, and there was like this T-shirt that had the Death Star, but it looked like a cookie. And one of the corners was a bit out of it. Vaguely. Remember okay. That. okay, do you have confirmation that I actually received this shirt? Because I do not remember this shirt. No, but I just, you know, found your I address. did not get that shirt. How You're did, kidding I, me. I think he's I've never seen leg. a shirt like that in my no. life. How does, how does he know your address? That's the question. It's it's on the internet. <laughs> well, so, but the, here, the business address. Happen, Robert? When did you send me this shirt? Oh, dude, it was like last, last year. It was probably, when did we go... So it would have been. Uh, I'm so sorry. I didn't. I honestly didn't get a shirt. You know what, Jim? It had to be in August when we went to Memphis. Well, I think Robert. Are you just is, making this up to I, make me feel bad? I think you so. Are the worst. No, he, he is. Oh, he dude, t- he does this to me all the time. You are a scumbag. Why? Why would oh. I do that? That would not be nice at all. Robert, no, that would be the worst. Robert you're does. The worst. Um, seriously, though, let's talk about the Star Wars thing because this is a thing that people know me for. No. And. Yeah, believe it or not. And I do like Star Wars ever since I was a kid, but it's not like I have a Star Wars tattoo or anything. But this is the problem, I think, with with adults and adults giving each other gifts is gift giving, I believe, is really intimate. And you have to know the person to give them a gift that they'll truly like. Otherwise, 95% of gift giving is just to let somebody know that you were thinking about them. Oh yeah. And so in that case, it's like, get them something edible that they don't have to like keep in their house now because you just had to put a thing. Like I, you know, people, my dad once got me a, um, my dad, my old father, a millennium Falcon alarm clock. And I actually got two of those that year. I haven't owned an alarm clock since 2004. Like, like oh I don't my use God. an alarm clock. Who uses an alarm clock? Everybody just sets the alarm on their phone, right? So, like, if you know just enough about a, another adult to know, like, one thing about them, and that thing becomes a thing that everybody knows about you, and now you just get gifts that are related to that thing forever. Like, my dad is from England. My whole family's from England. And so everybody in my small southern town that knew my dad, and he's got an English accent, and they're – they just associate him with the Beatles for some reason because he's English and the and, and the Beatles are the only thing anybody in South Florida in you know Indian town knows about uh, the uh, about England and so he gets for his birthday it's always like another photographic retrospective on on the Beatles or a, a John Lennon biography and it's like my dad thinks the Beatles are cool he likes them just fine but like that like everything in his house is a 
Beatles coffee mug or or a, or a Paul McCartney, you know, lithograph or something like this. Yes, but we know so your house has Star Wars. I do like Star Wars, but I have not filled my life with things with Star Wars on them. Every pretty much everything I own, except for the movies themselves, that is Star Wars related, is a gift. Almost everything. Pretty much everything. Like, I don't have a lightsaber like a lot of my buddies who I grew up with that are big Star Wars geeks. That's a big thing. They have lightsabers, and they, you know, they keep them in their houses. They get the movie replica ones, and I, I, I don't have anything like that. I just get Star Wars T-shirts in the mail from strange men. <laughs> well, wait a minute. So you're saying you want a lightsaber? Is that what you're telling me? No, uh, I don't, because I have five people living in a relatively small house, and we already have too much crap. I'm trying to constantly throw things out of the house. You know, one of the most therapeutic things you can do in your life is just order a 20-yard dumpster to be dropped off in your driveway for no particular reason. You don't have to have any construction project going on. Just commit to getting it and then fill it up. And you will, you will fill it up and you will just love what your life is like after you throw 20 yards of trash out of your house. Let let me, let me tell you, it's funny that this conversation is going on as my wife in the backyard is building us an eight by 12 and 10 foot tall storage shed. Because you have too much crap. Because she wants to be able to park in the garage. Uh-huh. Oh, I see what you mean. So uh, how much of that stuff in the garage could you stand to part with, though? That's the real question. Okay, the real question is, I could part with a lot of it. I just yeah. choose not to. Well, it's most of it's camera equipment. Yeah, most of it's camera gear. Hmm. Oh, and she's, well. she's stepping in now to listen to me because what? It's only eight foot tall. Oh, she said it's only eight foot tall, Gary. Oh, well, you know, that's not nothing. Well, honey, well, she has a hard time telling 12 inches. Oh, <laughs> I'm not going to dignify that because it wasn't clever or funny. It, was, oh. it wasn't yeah, clever Robert, or funny. Robert, you are the worst. You're the worst at jokes. Oh, You're I, the worst at uh, everything. I, I am. Let you know that. I'm the Boo-Ray Gary of Oklahoma. <laughs> Boo-Ray Gary? Yeah, that, the Boo-Ray Gary takes the two worst parts of the two photobomb hosts and turns them into Robert in Oklahoma. It's called oh, no, Ray I'm Gary. definitely the clinger on in the podcast. Bure is definitely the talent. Like I get a he. The whole thing follows the flow. Like if I'm running running the line out, he's letting the line go. But for the most part, you know, he is the he is the one who makes it the photobomb podcast what it is. I do the the production work on it, but the actual learning to have a a relationship like one where you are co-hosting a thing with a person that is a really strange thing to learn how to do with another person especially if you don't have a background in it and he's just been in that world and done so many things like that and he's so good at it you don't even realize all the tiny little things that he does like it took me forever how to learn not to step on a joke and that was because and he will hardly ever do it he always will let you be funny when you're going to be funny he'll never try to be funny instead of you you know and uh, he's a good uh, partner, but I had to learn how to play along. And that took, man, we've been doing the Photobomb podcast for five, five plus years. It takes a lot. I mean, we've had thousands of hours talking on the microphone together and learning to, learning that, that it's just such a, a unique relationship that I've never really had with anyone else because I honestly talk to him 
it continuously more than I talk to probably anybody else. And we don't hardly ever see each other. We don't really socialize except at conventions and stuff. We message back and forth throughout the week here and there just to keep up on stuff and bad ideas around and rant about whatever's going on in the world. But for the most part, we're like Penn and Teller. We're, 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 we're definitely friends, but we're, our, 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 most of our interactions are, are for the purposes of something that we're doing. And so, you know, we're not in each other's lives personally enough to know, like, to, to, to irritate each other all that much. So, you know, I <laughs> well, think you it's, know, uh, it's, it's fun and it's great. I've just never had anything like it. And well, so, while we're on that I, conversation, what kind of gifts do Boo-Ray get you? Oh, <laughs> we don't we don't get gifts for each other. Oh, That's come what I'm on. telling you. We're not, we're not, no, like no, no, we are, no. We, we're friends and he's been there for me for plenty of things. And we talk about all kinds of personal things over the years, but for the most part, I, we're not each other's go-to person for life stuff uh, oh. for the most part. And so, you know, when it comes to Christmas, I, I can't remember. And if he's bought me a wonderful gift, probably a Star Wars Millennium Falcon alarm clock, <laughs> and I had forgotten about it, I would uh, I would be disappointed. But I can't remember uh, ever ever exchanging gifts for anything. Oh well, we're on the other side of the of that spectrum. We're we're like twins. We're at the Bobsy twins. We talk every single day. If we don't hear from each other in the day. We're calling yeah. and going, hey, what's going on? But, I haven't heard from you. But keep in mind, these are not phone calls. These are Voxer messages. Back Sounds pretty messed up, you guys. Yeah, yeah. We have a love-hate relationship with, with our fathers, and therefore we take it out <laughs> on each other as a brother. <laughs> I love my pops. Anyway, so Gary Gary Hughes is a uh, has been on uh, Creative Live. He's taught a lot. So if you, if you want to go find Gary, you know, and learn from him, he's a great teacher. Um, you know, there's Adorama, uh, Creative Live. We'll try to try to put some links. Well, he's got a book out. Yeah, he got a book. Yeah, that's right. I did not realize you could have so many different lighting setups for a headshot. That was the funny thing about writing that book. And, um, that, I mean, it was ages ago. That book came out probably four years ago. And I wrote that book for Amherst Media. And this was just about the time that I started talking to Creative Live. And... I also was at the North Carolina PPA state convention and there um, I met um, Harvey from Amherst Mm -hmm. and he had a booth there and Amherst is there selling books and and meeting potential authors. And if you've got a good idea, they'll let you write a book about it. You know, you don't have to necessarily be a famous photographer, um, you know, so I pitched the idea and then it ended up developing to a thing. And what I learned later was, is that they have a, what they call a house style. And I believe it's changed since then, but essentially the house format was, a, you know, one picture, explain how you made it, a couple of uh, sub images to reinforce the point, And you have to do that 60 times in one book. Uh-huh. What? And so you had to come up with uh, lighting scenarios, dude, I got to tell you, I'm proud of that book. It took me a year and a half to write the damn thing. But you know, I was really reaching for, to get from 55 to 56 to, 57 <laughs> to 58. And, uh, there are definitely some, you had to get really, really specific with some of the techniques, but it was actually a really great process. And although I wasn't really I wasn't really thrilled with my relationship long-term with the publisher. I wanted to do more, uh, but just sort of got out of the book writing game. But, but I really did learn a lot about how I shoot and how I work and how to write by writing the book. Nothing helps you learn a subject like having to write about it, especially if it's something that you have done so much 
for so long that you've you've even forgotten the process like having to articulate the process of a thing you actually it's almost like there are some people that are their minds are so organized their lives are so organized that they're constantly making word clouds and diagrams like i know these people and they keep their life so orderly and they understand the process me i sort of just pull from myself and i just a lot of my stuff is i learned the the nuts and bolts but it's instinctual and and, and it's more emotional driven and having to sit down and go through the process it would be like sitting down and trying to write somebody a manual on how to ride a bike because you you've ridden a bike for so long so many times you just get on a bike and you go so to explain photography for a certain type of photographer is to sit down and have to explain something that you do sort of without thinking about it because you've done it so much and so it was a really cool process i learned a lot about myself about my process and about how i do things and uh, now I don't do any of that stuff anymore. I do it completely differently now. So that's cool. I remember before I left my 30-year job at the, at the at a, you know, 9 to 5. Um, the strip club? Yeah, the strip club. I had to sit, <laughs> so I had to sit down, you know, and, and uh, write a manual out for my job, my complete, all the stuff, stuff I do. And it was, it was really. Like for the person that's going to take your yes, place. Yeah, and it was crazy. And Robert's written manuals as well in the military. So, yeah, we feel you on that. Do you drop that in every episode? I feel like every episode I listen to, Robert has to drop in the military. He has to pull the military card out. Like, like we're not yeah. going to like you or think that you're tough if you don't pull out the military card. You know, I, mean, I already don't like you, but I mean, other people, other people, other people. And I can't believe that I've been out as long as I was in. Wow. When did you come out? Uh, 2001. I got wow, stuck. Wow, in... good for you, man! It is Pride Month after all. It so is. Really it is. Exciting. That's when I came out, and uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I have had that comment before. Um, with uh, what is that? What, coming out? Or? Yeah, I've I've had comments of like I I know why you've been divorced six times or five times, and you've uh, been divorced five times. Dude, we've had this conversation. Like I don't give up. <laughs> yeah, I suppose not. No, I mean, uh, yeah, you are certainly. Uh, you know, more in touch with certain parts of you, but that hero, that's some heteronormative BS people are trying to put on you, man. You can be a you can be a, a man who's a lover of women and yet appreciate the finer things, giggle at a joke a little bit, you know? Yes, like you absolutely. can you can be that guy. It doesn't matter. I'm that guy. That, I'm that I guy. I admire that about you. You're not you're not ashamed of your more sensitive instincts. No, no. And most people ask me, like, hey, did you ever marry the same woman twice? And I said, No. I said, I'm, I might be crazy, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> hmm, I don't know. <laughs> okay, just just as a point of order, uh, you didn't happen to get the same photographer for more than one of those weddings, did you? Okay, so let oh. me tell you let me tell you why this marriage is gonna last. One, because I'm too damn old to retrain another one. And she doesn't yeah, listen and, to the and podcast. And you really have lost a step in the looks department. So yes, you yes. Have a hard so, time hunting around. So it's gonna be really hard on that so. area. But uh, all my <laughs> other weddings, being in the military, my family never attended. In fact, on several of those, I got married and told them after the fact. Well, I mean, if you get to a third wedding, I wouldn't feel so inclined to rush to it. You know, what <laughs> but, I mean, like, it, it's it's like there. I mean, seriously, you think about it. If you have yeah, a friend. Yeah who is constantly in and out of relationships that when that person falls in love so hard and often it takes every relationship seriously, that serial monogamist, yes. it is exhausting to be someone's friend like that. And it's where they're constantly in and out of relationships. And I can absolutely see like my brothers, my older brother got married, remarried. 
and his second wedding, it was it was way more low key. And it was like, <laughs> ah, do we go to this? I guess I guess we go. Like we should we go, go, right? Yeah. I'm like go. if someone's getting married, that's not even a question. If your brother's getting married, if your dad's getting married, if your son's getting married, but three, four, five times. Like if you asked me to go to a fifth wedding, I'd be like, Robert, I'm going to sit this one out, my friend. I'm, I'm going to be yeah. honest with you. I do not have a good faith belief in your ability <laughs> to make this work. So I'm not going to even not going to even put any emotional effort into it. Once you've that's been married it. maybe five years, I'll come to the five-year anniversary party, but that's, that's But then you it. hear those favorite two words. I do. No, no, no. Get out. Free bar. <laughs> <laughs> that's not free if it's your wedding. Well, yeah, I'm paying for it, but you're drinking for free. No, I can drink for cheap anywhere I want. I, I, I would gladly pay a $30 bar tab to not have to watch <laughs> you get married for the fifth time. Oh, oh that's pretty damn good. No, oh, no, and I actually got married twice in Vegas. Uh, I'd love to. Julie and I, my wife, uh, for those of you who are listening who don't know, uh, my wife is Julie. We're actually coming up on our 10-year, and we were talking about renewing our vows on the bridge of the Enterprise in Vegas. There's a place where you can get married on the bridge Shut of the Enterprise up. in Starfleet uniforms. I thought that'd be really cool. That okay, would wait. be incredible. Now, hang yeah. on a second. You do that, and I will come. Um, here's the thing. For you to come, you'll have to know when. And where. And, uh, I, mean, when, I don't have know. to tell you that. Uh, you will slip up, and I will call them and say, hey, is there Gary Hughes getting remarried? What's his date? You're Next making week? it real weird, dude. It's super <laughs> weird. Because as much as you like Star Wars, I like Star Trek. Oh, dude, don't even get me started. I, you know, it's not binary. That's you. You can like both. I love both. I adore you can both love of those franchises, both. and for completely different reasons. I yes. if, look. I am such a an, a dork. You literally, if something takes place in space, with you, really got to go out of your way to make me hate it. Really? <laughs> like, okay. Hang on. Hang on. Real bad. Like, so let's so let's I don't try care how bad uh, a science fiction movie is. I'm going to give it a shot. Okay, you know, so, because I feel very fortunate, whether it's sci-fi, fantasy, superhero movies, I feel fortunate to live in a time where it's actually okay to like all that stuff. When I was in middle school and high school, secretly collecting comic books, you know, you couldn't wear a Batman shirt to school. You'd get no. your butt kicked. Yes. You'd get shoved into a locker. You couldn't talk to some people about how you like star wars or dungeons and dragons and like for all that stuff was in the closet like it was seriously like you couldn't come out as gay and you couldn't come out as a nerd because either one of those things would lead you to close to the same result and now we're fine like it's it's the most popular stuff in the world you have science fiction movies making a billion dollars at the box office and so i like all of it i don't i don't hate any even the bad stuff i'm like keep making it I'm good with it. So, like, don't 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 try to pretend you're more of a Star Trek fan than me. Just because you're old enough to have watched Star Trek the first time it aired, it doesn't mean you like it more than me. Well, I also have a relative that was on the show. Oh, whoopty flipping dude! Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that makes you a bigger fan. Well, yes, yes. Uncle Bill talked about the shit all the time. Oh okay. no! Like he was on the show. Well, oh, you're not talking about William Shatner. That's Uncle Bill. No, it is not. That that is. You're a liar. Really? Okay. Yes. Now look at my photo. You go look at my photo. I think you're pulling my leg. I don't look believe. At, I don't buy this crap for a second. I'm looking up your photo right look now. Look at my photo. And then <laughs> now, obviously, I did not look like Uncle Bill when he was in Star Trek, but I do look like Uncle Bill when he was on Boston Legal. 
he might be his illegitimate child. Is that like uncle with quotes around it? No, 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 no. Like he's second kind of uncle thing. He's way off in the distance stuff. And it really upset me that I already had a gig when he actually came to town and I had Jim shoot uh, shoot his uh, headshots for me. Or no, for, it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't a headshot. It was the it, event. It was the event. And I actually talked to Gary about that. But yeah. Now, yeah. I'm looking at your, your picture and you could probably be like, Bill Shatner's stand-in from behind, you know, roughly the same height and body type, I guess. Although I, th- I hear yeah. he wears a girdle. Is that true? Yeah. Oh, dude. Very much could be because Very much he was, could uh, be. yeah. But let's talk about, let's go back to space movies. Well, let's go back okay. to headshots. No, 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 because no, he's into space it. movies. On, let's do this. So I, this is one of my favorite sci-fi movies, and okay. it is, it's a horrible movie. Okay, I'm But I want to know if you've seen it. Mm-hmm. Barbarella. Oh God, yeah, that's ancient, but yeah, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's like classic. Um, it is classic movie sci-fi. It's wonderful. What, what year was that? It had to be like seventy nine, seventy seven. No, dude, I think that thing was back in the in the late sixties. Hang on, Jim's uh, gonna look it up. Maybe he's looking it up. I think that 68. was yeah, sixty eight. Yeah, sixty eight. Yeah, I had a I had a roommate, a guy that I live with you know, post-college, pre-adult like adult life. And he loved this movie, and he watched it all the time because he's a big Jane Fonda fan. Yeah. Did yeah. You, did you look, it was awful and wonderful at the same time. At the same I time. Mean, and the guy yeah. that played the angel was just like, you know, got to make out with her in space and floating around. I mean, that was every young man's dream back in the 70s. Wait, or... Was it your dream? Oh, I'm sure it was my like, dream. Like, were you more jealous of the the angel or of Barbarella? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm not sure. Oh, dude, she was totally awesome. And Jim is oh, looking dude, up Barbarella. Yeah. You've never seen it. Name? I have never Holy seen cow. it. Gary Lewis. Yeah, that's him. You've never yeah, seen yeah. Barbarella? No. Dude, you've got to go home and watch that. Okay, I will. Because you're oh, going to come it's, back. It's wild, dude. It's like, uh, the, it's like a, it's, it's really meant to be, to me, it's like the female version of Flash Gordon. Yes. You know? oh, okay. Yes, absolutely. Very, very much. At, very similar music. Very similar soundtrack. Yeah, are you telling me that Queen did the soundtrack to Barbarella? No, but I, I, I disagree. Don't know. No, because no, Flash Gordon soundtrack similar. might be the best soundtrack ever written by I, anyone ever in the history of time. I only went to see Flash Gordon because Queen did the music. Dun 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 flash dun 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 ah come on man that's it's amazing oh my god are you coming to imaging Gary I don't think Gary can hear us when he's talking because that's the way it's it's set up did you guys join in on the song yeah I did oh Jim did I was staring at him while I was drinking my whiskey so I'll make sure that you edit that so it sounds flawless I want us to start a band now. I think that would be well, great. Well, I should have done yeah, the, I am going to be harmony. imaging. Funny enough, I was just going over those notes today. I will be speaking on the platform again this year. They selected me to speak, and I'm pretty excited and grateful for that because I always have a good time there. So I will be in uh, Grapevine, Texas, a.k.a. Dallas area, to speak on the platform about doing a marketing class, which should be really cool. So you're going to do that in addition to your pre-con or – no, I did a pre-con and a platform last year, and a lot of times that happens. Um, they'll take people that have spoken before, and they'll need certain subjects. So the the way that it works is I actually chaired the speaker selection committee. Um, you guys might know this. I don't oh, know yes. if your listeners do, but there's a – Bureau mentioned a little bit, I remember, on the episode he recorded with you guys last week. 
um, that there's a, a committee that that selects the speakers for Imaging USA. I was on that committee for six years, and I ch- was the chair of that committee for three. And so essentially what happens is we go off of applications. I'm no longer, by the way, on the committee, uh, and I have to apply to speak there just like everybody else. Um, so they go to the applications first, and then they see who has applied and then each person kind of goes onto a board of a pool of candidates based on the subject matter, who it is, you know, who knows them and has seen them speak before. And, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of different factors that go into it. But um, they, and then if they are, they look at the different tracks and they've got the wedding track and the high school seniors and the, and the, and the portrait track and, and whatever, and, and the business track. And if they're missing anything and in the pool of people that applied, if they're short, for any of those tracks, then they might go to one of the other speakers who they know is going to be there. Somebody like Boo Ray or somebody like Randy Van Dynan or somebody like a Hanson Fong, somebody who will definitely be there and who will definitely deliver a great class. And they will ask that person sometimes even to double up and teach a second class or, you know, because why would they, you know, want somebody who they know that Boo Ray or I or whoever's going to be there for the whole week. So it's no problem for us to teach a pre-con if they need something. So that's, that's kind of how it works sometimes if there's, if in the pool of candidates, there isn't somebody who has applied to teach a particular subject that they need. Well, whenever I first registered, uh, I paid extra for your pre-con for on headshots. Oh, did you? Yeah. Did you go? No, not last year for this coming year. Oh, I did you really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I Surprise! Did. I didn't realize that I was teaching a pre-con class as well. I okay, think cool. I, I think well, right I asked now, obviously, you. the hope is that. Uh, well, thanks, Jim. You, uh, I appreciate your support, man. Um, but <laughs> well, the the hope is that you know, with COVID nineteen and everything, and that Imaging USA will happen and it will be an in person thing, and and we're proceeding. That's what they've told the speakers, really, is that we're proceeding as if it's definitely happening. And PPA has done some amazing stuff. Not only have they lowered the the price, full registration is $59 now, which is insane. Yeah. And they've also subsidized everybody's hotel room. PPA is literally paying $40 a night per room night towards every attendee's uh, hotel stay who stays in the host hotel. So if you if your room night is, if your hotel is $140 a night, when you check out, if you stayed for five nights, PPA is going to knock that down and you'll only get billed $500 by the hotel instead of whatever the difference would have been, uh, $700. So like there's, they're just, the PPA is losing their shirt on Imaging USA this year because they know how much people will need that content to get, make their businesses bounce back next year. So I'm really excited to be a part of it. Assuming that it's going to go forward as a live event, which I really hope, hope, hope it will. And, and again, all things we are proceeding as if it is happening. There is, um, you know, PPA is monitoring the situation on a daily basis. Um, I think that it could very well be the most important imaging USA that's happened in a very long time. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be great. We'll we'll be there cuz it's close to home. Oh, it is. It is. But you know, you did touch on COVID, so we should talk about that a little bit because sure, that man. imaging is all the way back in January. So that's a I mean, I'm pretty sure we should be completely recovered by then. At least I well, hope so. completely recovered. I mean, look, no, no one on this call is an infectious disease expert, I'm assuming. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so, no, no. Um, but possibly we could have things under control where it could happen. But I think that I, I just think that it's it's we don't want to say yes for sure or it should. God, we hope so. But we have to pl- protect, pl- plan like it's going to happen and be prepared for if it doesn't. 
I had a, an event cancel on me for November. Because of, because yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of events canceling. So how has that affected you? And do you feel like the business of photography is going to change? I know a lot of wedding photographers I talk to are really concerned going forward uh, with the whole COVID thing, whether it can bounce back, come back. And if COVID happened once, could it be a different disease next year? So there's a lot of wedding photographers considering, uh, you know, spreading out their, um, their business plan to include other avenues, other revenue streams, because they're not oh, yeah. going to be able to count Absolutely. on weddings. Absolutely. I mean, event-based stuff is just gone for now. I've had a couple of my corporate events reschedule for the end of the year um i've had a couple cancel and i've only had to give a couple of refunds and you know that's and most people have elected to either transfer the balance to the same event the following year or whatever but yeah gosh i mean wedding photography corporate event photography anything where you have large groups of people coming together is just brutalized it's just destroyed for now and that's very unfortunate however I do have to say that if, and I know you've been in business a while, both of you, if you are in, my parents were photographers. I grew up in a photography family and I remember, I mean, my entire life, my parents paid all the bills and, and with photography and we were, we were a small town photography studio that did a little bit of everything. And I remember a few times throughout my life where something terrible happened and knocked all the pieces off the chessboard. Mm-hmm. And if you're if if you own a business, you have to plan for a complete reset for whether it's a terrorist attack or an economic disaster or a natural disaster. Like something is going to happen that is going to wipe all the pieces off the board every 7 to 10 years and that's pretty consistent and whether it's one thing or the other cuz life is just like that. And so this thing is unfortunate and because of the nature of it it is unprecedented but the effects of it are not like something we haven't felt before i I remember my parents were in business after the 9-11 attacks and everything died every business just stopped every first of all everything closed for a while because everybody was afraid to go outside and then nobody wanted to go to the movies nobody wanted to go to a park nobody wanted to go out to dinner And nobody wanted to spend lots of money on portrait or wedding photography. Nobody wanted to have a wedding. Everybody's just, where's the next attack going to happen? And what kind of a crazy world are we living in? Everybody felt like the world was dangerous, much like we do now. And I remember my parents almost lost their business. And if they hadn't been paying for business interruption insurance, they would have. And so they got, uh, they had a policy that covered exactly this type of thing because they were preparing for the future. And that's something that as a small business owner, why finance is so important. You have to put money aside. You have to keep your cost of doing business as low as you can, keep your income to debt ratio down, squirrel money away constantly, every bit you can. Don't always have to buy the newest and best thing because in just a few years, something is going to happen that could wipe your business off the map. Now, it's unfortunate to, to view things this way, but it is a fact. And the, 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 one of the positives that come out of it is that it does clear the playing field a little bit. So those people who have prepared and are able to survive because they've been using, using really good business practices, when things start up again, they'll have the advantage over everyone else. And there are a lot of people who do what we do that are already have closed their doors or people who are part-time operators or people who weren't making serious money with it or people who were just getting on their feet. And a lot of people have already shuttered. 
uh, people who were towards the end of their career and they just decided to go ahead and retire. I mean, this is a this has cleared the board for a lot of people. Um, and so, you know, it's unfortunate. I'm not saying that's a good thing, but it doesn't mean that your good practices can't make your business successful when you relaunch after something like this. So Gary, I want to talk about something. I want to two two things. So one thing is talk about, um, not, not for your personal, but for your business. I know you've mentioned before that you've, you have savings. So, you know, for this kind of, uh, an event to happen, you know, you do have, you do have the insurance, which I think PPA offers on their, on their website, on their, your membership, right? The, the, uh, business interruption insurance. Is that, I'm not, I'm not sure. We, uh, we use it. We use PPA for equipment insurance and we use another company for everything else. Okay. But so talk about the saving thing. I don't, I don't want you to give details obviously, but talk about like, maybe, maybe talk about what people can do in that situation to, to get started. You know, how, how do we, what do we start with? You know, what, you know, what do you, do you set up any separate account? Do you do? Oh that kind of yeah. Stuff? I mean, I, I would say everybody's a little bit different and we all come from different uh, socioeconomic backgrounds. For me, I'm real dumb with money and I really like to spend it. So uh, <laughs> it's very fortunate that my wife is very good at minding our P's and Q's. And so she handles all the money. We've talked about what we want to do and how we want to handle things. But essentially, we have committed for a certain percentage of every dollar that comes in goes immediately to another account. And so we split up the money behind b- between paying down debts that pop up, which is, you know, maybe... We've had three kids in the last five years. So, you know, medical bills pop up. And then so it's it's putting enough money aside. So when something comes up, you're not totally, you know, set on your set on your back by it. But uh, the thing that I can tell you that is just you have to allow for a percentage of your income to go into savings all the time. I would recommend 10 percent of every dollar that comes into your studio goes into a separate account and you don't touch it. In fact, put in an account that you don't carry the card with you, you know, un- even keep it in a separate bank or unlink it from your, you know, uh, your main business checking account so that it's hard to get to. That's the kind of stuff that I have to do to not spend money. I have to make it very inconvenient to get to my, <laughs> to yes. get to my savings. And that, but that's my wife is in charge of everything. So she's good at it. So we just put money away. Like, living in well within your means it's very tempting in an industry where everybody is an artist and because of social media everybody wants to show how they're living the good life and so it's very tempting to try and have really nice stuff and a really nice car and a really like living within your means and keeping your expenses down is the best thing that you can do for the success of your business. Because if you have an expensive lifestyle, I promise you that your average photography business is not the best business to support a rich and expensive lifestyle. Now you can get there, but you have to get your business up on its feet and rolling. And a lot of the ways that you do that is by managing your expenses. And so one of the things that Julie and I've done for years is, We've tried to live as much as we can within our means. When we bought our house, we bought a house that was way, way, way less than we could afford. But we know that if our business goes under, we could both get jobs at the gas station and still afford our house, you know? So we're not leveraged with a ton of debt and our living expenses are pretty low. You know, I drive a Toyota Corolla, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's nice enough, but you know, it gets me from where I need to go, but it's an economical car. So, you know, unless you've got those types of resources, 
you got to live as low as you can. And, and eventually if you get your business rocking and rolling to where you're not hustling all the time, then you can make target expenses to have nicer stuff, you know, and, uh, and basically keeping your expenses down and committing a certain amount of money to go into separate account that you don't touch. That's the two very basic things. And once you get a certain amount of money built up, it's crazy to keep that amount of money in a savings account that's so low interest. You can start making investments for the business and make money work for you so that you can actually retire. And that's kind of the next step. But essentially, it's like get your debts and expenses down, save as much as you can, keep a certain amount in savings, probably a couple months worth of expenses, maybe three months worth of expenses on hand for savings, and then start funding some kind of investment on behalf of your business so that you can take advantage of different tax incentives and so that you can watch money. The best money in the world is money that works for you while you're not doing anything. And so all that stuff is just one step at a time to keep an eye on. You don't have to start doing all that stuff right now because it can seem very overwhelming, especially if you're, if you're new. First things first, cut all your expenses and concentrate on good business practices. Keep your costs down, get your prices up and your costs down and go from there. Wow, I, we're both riding like yeah. crazy here. Maybe we should have Julie on the show next month to yeah. talk about money matters. Yeah, right. No, it makes you funny, feel funny about Julia. She would never admit that she's good at anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, she does put up with you, so she is a saint. There's no, there's no question. But you know, you did bring up a really good point, and Jim and I have talked about this several times on social media. No one ever brags about their business purchases that are related to business. Like, well, you know, insurance. if you buy a new camera, man, that goes like on social media right away. But no one says, oh my God, look at my new uh, general liability insurance. I just renewed today. Look how proud I am. No one cares because that's not yeah. sexy. It's not a sexy social media post. Check out this certificate for my Roth IRA. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Look how sexy that is. Well, you know, we're kind of <laughs> off topic, but I don't care. But let's, let's come back into the headshot area because one thing, I've listened to you so much, and I don't think you've ever made a comment on how you wound up. How did you settle on headshots being your main business? The, I know you the did, volume or any of it. Or, or any of it. Yeah. I mean, because you did weddings, which I think is uh, uh, what I call stripper math. You know, everybody sees the three or four or $5,000 you get paid for a wedding, and you're like, oh, my God, you must be rich. You know, they don't see all the expenses. No, you really, you really got to like weddings to shoot them. I, I'm, I'm convinced um, that weddings are one of the worst investments as a photographer. Unless you're getting ten thousand dollars a wedding, you, you could, you should seriously stop and do something else. Unless you, re unless it brings you a lot of joy, unless you really, really love it, weddings are, are just bad math. It's just a bad investment. Like yeah, if, if you just think about here, here's a good example, and I will get to the question as oh, no, no, you're good. Uh, how I started in headshots. It's not that interesting, so I'll keep it pretty short. But you know, if you get five thousand, what would you say if if you said to almost any wedding photographer in the country, if they were going to get paid seven thousand dollars for a wedding, they would probably be pretty cool with that, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay, so you know, depending on the market, like if you're in Manhattan, maybe that's not, maybe that's just average. If you're in Oklahoma, maybe that's the highest end you got. But seven grand across the board is double the national average for the cost of wedding photography. So Correct. I would say double the national average for wedding photography would be a good, good wedding. That's a good wedding you want to book. So if you think about it, let's say you got a lot of husband and wife teams, a lot of partners, or you got yourself in a second shooter. So that's an eight-hour, ten-hour wedding day. So you got sixteen to twenty 
you know, man hours on the wedding, plus all the prep, you know, production time, meetings, cost of physical goods, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's just t- travel time, moving equipment around, you know, engagement session, rehearsal dinner, uh, whatever, you know, they're just the, the, I would say that on average wedding probably was a total of without material cost, about 30 to 40 hours of production to make a wedding happen spread out over six months to a year most Correct. of the time. And sometimes that would get to 50, 60 hours, depending on how much you shoot or what the client ordered. Then you got physical cost of goods and all of that to make $7,000. And it is not uncommon for me to go and shoot 25 headshots and make $3,000 by 11 a.m. and be back at the studio with the images delivered to the client. I know that like, that you're correct. It's you have a much better bang for your buck. I actually did my hours at a wedding. Now this has been this is probably like 2016 when I was a little bit more heavier in weddings than I am now. And my average wedding was 60 hours, start to finish. I, I yeah. tracked everything. I've been out of it for a long time, but that sounds accurate. And you know you shoot a three thousand dollar wedding, and you're not putting that much pot money in your pocket. Yeah, if you, if you actually looked at how much how much of that is profit that you get to keep, it's pretty horrifying, which is yes. why I say you have to love it to do it. And don't get me wrong, I think some of the best photography in the world is wedding photography. I think wedding photographers are some of the most skilled like artisans in like I have some friends who are just mind blowing what they can accomplish with a off camera speed light and a sweat. You know, I mean it's just amazing. And I think wedding photographers are very often the most creative and, and they're in the most challenging situation. I did it. I did it for 10 years. I was very, very, a lot of respect for it. But as a business person, we just one day, the first time we ever just cracked our books, this is when we went full headshots or full, yeah, we're, we're called a commercial portrait studio is what we call ourselves. Cause it's not strictly headshots, but headshots are a lot of it. But um, the first time we cracked the books, and we looked at how much we were time we were spending on the amount of money that was coming in from weddings and then the vice versa with headshots. It was like, what are we doing? Because there are about two and a half to three million weddings every year in the United States. Right. And there are 23 million small businesses. And most people don't work for small business. Most people work for bigger, medium size or large companies. So like you know, you you're looking at just the size of the market, the target rich environment, you know. And it's just, it depends on what makes you happy and what kind of business that you want to have. And you can absolutely make a living off of volume weddings too. Gosh, if I was going to really go from scratch, I wouldn't even shoot. I would, I would hire and train three photographers. I would go to bridal shows. I would offer $2,000, $2,500 weddings that were like all inclusive for six hours and a five by five album. And I would make $300 a wedding and I'd shoot 50 weddings a month. Like that would, that's a business that can make money volume because people who don't have more than to spend on wedding photography. There are those people who just can't afford a $10,000 wedding photographer, but they deserve decent wedding photos as well. And so I would make a business for them because you know what? That would be easy to get. All you got to do is be in the right place at the right price and you can have that job because they're not that picky because they can't be. Um, But anyway, so we started into headshot photography because I modeled my business after my parents' business, which was a little bit of everything you know, boutique portrait and wedding photography studio. And we do a little bit of this, a little bit of that headshots here and there. But Orlando has a fairly decent entertainment market. And so we have a lot of actors and entertainers who work at the parks and then do do auditions for film and television. And so we just sort of had a couple of clients like that. 
And that sort of spitballed into entertainment headshots being our side hustle in our business. And then it started to, because we were optimizing our webs, our SEO and our website for headshots and because we were, you know, posting a lot of stuff like that online, this, the stuff that we were shooting during the week, all the headshots and stuff, um, we started to get people coming to us for headshots, but not entertainment. And I remember the phone call, a guy called the studio and he said, yeah, I'm on your website and. I was uh, wondering, do you photograph anybody who's not 25 and beautiful? And, I thought, <laughs> and then, and I swear to God, it's one of those moments where you can feel like the neurons burning a path across your brain that is going to just be there forever. I, you know, it was like, I thought, you idiot, you absolute tit, you have been marketing towards the wrong people. Step outside your house, go down to whatever part of town where your buildings are and look around and every single window and every single door is in there is someone who needs you to take their picture for their job you idiot you're focusing on 0.001% of the population with actors when literally everyone else is waiting for you to take these skills and, and provide them with a great headshot and that was at the beginning of sort of the LinkedIn Facebook you know, email signature photo era. And we just got on that train at the right time and then just became this place where we were doing, it just took over our business. And eventually we made the decision to let everything else go. And so, and that's been the best to specialize in commercial portraiture has been the best, best decision we've ever made. Uh, I, and I think you do excellent at it. And I, you, it's well, something well, are that you complimenting my lighting, Robert. Oh, absolutely. All the time. I've always complimented. You just took that <laughs> no, out of you context. Haven't. One time you did the opposite of complimented. Okay. One time you trashed it. Uh, it's not a trash because I think I hold you to a much higher level. <laughs> oh, a there you go. Absolutely. I can you absolutely. After you sent me your PDF <laughs> of your book and said, hey, can you look this over? And I went, man, this guy knows what the hell he's doing. But that one particular image, and I cannot remember what it was, I looked at it and I thought, <laughs> he can do better. That's exactly what I well, said. That's the, the the truth of it is, is that no matter how good you get, still most of your images are ones that you would never show anybody else. Don't you think that's true? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, if you see the ones I took this weekend, I'm going to have a couple that are great, and the rest of them I just totally failed. Like, really mm -hmm. failed. Like, it just sucked. And it has yeah, nothing to do with exactly the talent. exactly what you're talking about. It's it just is so me. common yes. to, to just, no matter how hard you train or no matter what you know, like the information that's in your head, you could totally not do that thing in the moment. And it's, it's uh, there's no photographer out there that I know of with maybe with the exception of two or three that still probably doesn't, 90% of their photos would never see the light of day. And so, uh, you know, if, if you're a photographer and you're new and you're discouraged because you're looking around at other Instagrams and blogs and just wondering how they could be so amazing. I've been behind the scenes for a lot of the greats. And I will tell you that they're just like us. They just get a, it, it's like almost like being a batter in MLB, you know, it's like the very best batters hit the ball 30% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think the very best photographers are probably pretty similar in percentage. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, yeah, I'm the same way. You know, you, you go through when I first started, you know, you go through and you, you're calling and you're like, God, you know, I'm deleting all these terrible photos. What's the deal? You know, but you can't be discouraged because uh, that's, 
That's just how it is. I mean, you're not going to fire a, a great well, shot well, every on, time. So, but but if you okay. if you're like back in the film days, like back like view cameras and stuff for you know eight by tens. Oh yeah, they they probably had some too. But I guarantee you, they spent a lot more time on. Yeah, planning. but don't you think that digital made us a little lazy? Oh yeah, absolutely. I don't know about that. I mean, yes and no. All you've done is push the spaghetti around a plate. Digital just means you have to do, you know, you're, st- you're still doing 100% of the work. Now you're just doing 75% of it after the fact. You're tr- and, and, yeah. and please, please don't pretend for a second that photographers, their labs weren't carrying their lazy asses on their back. Oh, hell yes. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Like if you ever, if most photographers ever saw what their negatives look like, what their prints look like before their lab fixed them, they'd probably cry themselves to sleep right on top of their bellows yeah because back then those those labs were the processor like uh, we are the processor correct now, you know? uh-huh 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 so yeah they made them look good and we've had this discussion uh, with well me and robert have so. i remember my parents uh lab bill when i was a kid i mean it was the most expensive part of running their studio was paying that lab every month Oh my God. Yeah. I, I'm as soon as you said that, I started just thinking about the film and, and I remember when the one hour photo lab started opening in the malls mm-hmm. and every photographer was there on the weekend trying to get, you know, you wanted to see it quicker, quicker, right. You know, versus dropping the envelope. I mean, huge oh mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was crazy. I remember Dale laboratories in Florida mm-hmm. had a mm-hmm. wedding package. And they would send you five rolls of 120, and they would send you the order forms. They were blank order forms, mm-hmm. and you would uh, you would shoot the film, send it back, and it was like, I don't know, like 500, 400 some odd dollars. It included processing. Then they would send you back a proof book with an order form that you would take to your bride and groom, and they would mark down what they wanted. Then you'd send everything back to them, and they'd make the album and send it back. It was like a one, one price did everything. Hmm. And when Yeah, that, I mean, it was... Uh... I don't think that the digital transition is a thing that I was around for. I was not in the professional photography industry, except in the capacity as working in my parents' business. I remember in the late nineties and then these people started to really invest in digital equipment as expensive as it was. And then probably around about 2000, 2001 was when you started to see probably the the threshold of 50% as far as how many pros were using digital versus film. And I think a lot of photographers who thought they were really good photographers realized when you had to see what your image looked like immediately after you took it, instead of waiting for your lab to send you back a corrected proof. Yes. I think that, you know, I think that they realized that they didn't know what the heck they were doing. A lot of photographers didn't make the transition very well. They tried and then, and then fell out of it. Oh no, absolutely. I've, I've met a lot of those kind of people. And they would come back and say, I'm using the exact same settings on this digital camera that I did in my Hasselblad in the studio, and all the images are dark. And I'm like, yeah, so your lab was saving your ass because you were, you were underexposing everything. Yeah. And when you got those prints <laughs> it's back. It's amazing how, you know, people just put such a premium on the way things used to be. And, you know, I, I just think that it's mostly just a crock. Because I call it Saturday Night Live syndrome, right? Because when you watch Saturday Night Live, whatever period of your life, and everybody, most people in pop culture in America have a period of their life where they watch the most amount of Saturday Night Live. I have passed that point in my life. And like you know, now I just catch the highlights when something really interesting happens. But everybody thinks that the time that when they watched it the most 
was the time when it was the best. And in reality, 50% of Saturday Night Live has always been crap, and 50% of it has been funny. And because they have, they have to produce a live sketch show every single week, and there's no, it's not possible for every sketch to hit and to land so well. And so we just memorialize and, and idealize the time when it was the most important to us. I'd be like, oh, it'll never be as good as it was when, uh, you know, it was uh, the Coneheads and Nana, Rosanna, Banana, Dana, or whatever. Like, it, it, it's just, you know, that we, we have a tendency to remember the past too fondly. And if you ask, I, I think I read something about a survey of people in the United States, and it was the vast majority of people believe things used to be better. The vast majority of people believe that things are worse now than they used to be. And funny enough, the vast majority of people also believe that things will get better later on. Oh, that's funny. Isn't that interesting? So that like very interesting. It's in, in marketing. It is such a powerful thing. And that's why nostalgia works because most people inherently believe that things used to be better because maybe you used to be with the one that, the got away. Maybe you used to be thinner. Maybe you used to have more hair. Maybe you used to be Johnny football and you were awesome, but you never finished college. And now you work at the gas station. Like it's very easy to sell the idea that things used to be better. And it is very, very difficult to sell the idea that things are great now. And with the exception of the last few months, which are kind of a dumpster fire, the world is a better place than it has ever been with the, with the one exception probably of the environment which is sort of not doing so hot uh, besides that, which is kind of the most important issue in the world as far as I'm concerned, but like less people die in war, less people, fewer people die of disease, fewer people, you know, there, there's less violence overall. That's including war zones and everything like, like more, less people live in poverty, fewer people rather. It, it, I mean, it, it's just an incredible time to be alive and we can talk instantly to anybody around the world, whenever we want to, we have access to every piece of information that is pretty much ever been recorded and yet we are miserable about it like we've always been miserable and we're, and we're and we're pining for the way things used to be like i remember when the phone was a thing that was in the kitchen and you had to you had to answer it and you know it's like okay that was better how was that better you know i remember when kids were you know respectful when was that like vietnam like all the hippies flipping you off as you got off the plane yeah that yeah. was great too wasn't it yeah that was that was when everybody was so respectful like it's just we're, we're nostalgic for a past that didn't exist. And I find that that some of the film stuff I see is kind of that way. And, and so it's hard to adopt new technology when you're straddling those two different worlds. And I saw that happen to a lot of my, to my parents and to a lot of their contemporaries. And, and I, I'm just excited that we live in a world where, Every camera is a flipping miracle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they're absolutely. cheaper than they've ever been. And so it, it, we're, we're in, we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to to choices in cameras. Like you can get for you know how much? What was your first digital camera, Robert? Uh, my first digital camera was a modified Nikon F three that was uh, a little over one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah. Yep, $115,000. Yes. And it was a huge festering turd compared to a camera now that you can get for $200. Oh, oh no. Hang on. Let me tell you the story. This is kind of funny. So this is 1989, and uh, in the military, when we'd go into combat and go into a possible contamination zone with chemical warfare, our— Jim, just please take a note yeah, in just your take note a, that Robert yeah. just dropped the military contract. I, I have I, to. It's the I only have. thing I have in my life. 
I knew it was coming. So. And, uh, you know, we used underwater cameras. And the idea was you would go out with two or three underwater cameras. You would shoot those. You would come back. They would spray you off. They would take the film out, load fresh film up, and send you back out. So then in 1989, we go to this uh, meeting with a joint combat camera. And they're like, okay, we have this new technology. It's a digital camera. So here's a Nikon that we've modified. You have a pack on the side you have to carry. Right. Hooked up with a SCSI cable, you can shoot one image like every 20 seconds, and it's like 1.2 megapixel image. And but, it was mind-blowing. Oh, it was mind-blowing. And they said, since this thing weighs so much, you, we don't want you to be overloaded, so we're taking away your M16 and 120 what? rounds of ammo, and we're going to give you a 9-millimeter Beretta. And I'm like, dude, we're going to die. And here's the cool thing. It's electronic, so you can't decon it. So if we ever leave a battle zone and it's contaminated, you blow it up in a hole so the enemy doesn't get it. Hmm. Interesting. But to be able to sit down with a SATCOM phone and transmit an image from Grenada to, you know, Washington, and they get it within 30 minutes, because, I mean, you know, we're dealing with, like, dial-up modem stuff off satellite, they were thrilled. And now you can... The phone that I carry has more processing power than we it took to send a guy to the moon and back. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It, it, it is very crazy to think about. And we have a tendency to, and it is literally the oldest trope in human existence to resent the younger generation because of the technology they have. But think about all the things that people can accomplish when they don't have to worry about little things. Okay, so maybe you don't have to get up and walk into the bedroom to make a phone call. Maybe maybe you don't have to hit a busy signal when you try to call grandma. Like, you know, maybe you don't have to, you know, go and mail a letter to order something out of the catalog anymore. That doesn't mean that things used to be better because maybe getting all of these little things out of the way that we no longer have to do because of technology can free up these young people to, to put their energy into something like saving the planet or, or, or figuring out how to eliminate disease. I mean, it, it, literally in the, uh, in the ancient Egypt, the, the invention of the written language was lauded as a technology that would ruin civilization because now people wouldn't have to remember things anymore because they could write it down. I, I did not. I did not long, see that show, but that old, was that sounds that's how long people have been bagging on the younger generation for their technology. You know, and you brought the technology, so let's let's talk about that a little bit in related to your headshot business. Okay. Okay. So there's a huge difference in the way we market our business as photographers and headshot photographers. In the old days, you opened a studio, you had a brick and mortar, and you mm -hmm. took an ad out in the Yellow Pages. Yep. And now you go to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and you basically go online, and you can now market to everybody in the world, even though those people may not be able to be your clients because they're not in your physical area. Mm -hmm. So what area... Did you pull back on your marketing during COVID or did you speed your marketing up knowing that no, COVID was going to We pass? actually ramped our marketing up. What we have done is during COVID-19, when this all started, we decided we weren't going to be selling, that it's just not the time we're going to be making money. And that's just across the board. Unless you're selling uh, hand sanitizer and masks, you're not going to be really making a profit right now for the most part. Um, so what we did was we converted, we have an email newsletter that we send to our clients like once a month just to sort of like 
get that an interesting information articles that we write on our blog. So what we did is we turned our newsletter called Focus on Business. We turned it into a community bulletin. And so we started contacting clients who have local businesses and finding out what people offered that could help people in the crisis. For example, a local distillery that started making hand sanitizer instead of uh, whiskey and, you know, things like that. Um, and, and we started featuring local businesses and countywide information, um, you know, PPP loan information. We put all of this started putting in and then we changed our newsletter from monthly to weekly. And every Monday we send out, these are the places where you can get personal protective equipment. And this is the, these are the places that are, you know, the library is offering online virtual story time. If you if you're looking for something to keep your kids busy while you're working from home and da, 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 da. And every week we send out information. We just became, a source of information for our audience, for our email list um, of several thousand in the area. These are of clients. And so, and I'd gotten half a dozen different response emails back from people being like, I see what you're doing. This is so important. I look forward to these emails. Thank you so much. These are great. Thanks for, mm -hmm. you know, and that's who we really have to be sometimes. That's how, that's how we have to market. It, ultimately, if you're out there going, look how good my pictures are, you know, uh, uh, you should hire me cause I'm awesome. Um, I'm, and by the way, we're having a, an event or a sale. That's okay, I guess. But if you can make your clients super fans, like I forget who said it, but the, the quote is, if you have a thousand super fans, you will have a successful business. If you have thousand shut up and take my money, super fans, you will never have to worry about how you're going to make a living. And so you have to be the type of business that is so focused on giving great experience, information, quality, entertainment, engagement to the audience who follows you, no matter what your business is, that they are happy to spend money, that it's not an ask. It's an, of course, it's like going to a journey concert. Of course, you're going to buy the t-shirt. That's <laughs> so much fun. You know, like you have to do, that's what marketing is now. It's targeted. It's enjoyable. It is honest it is authentic it is powerful and then when you say by the way we're doing this everybody pulls out their wallet and says shut up and take my money and yes we want to shut we want them to shut up and uh, we want to shut up so we can take their money but i also enjoy creating this community in, in my town of people who see us as a trusted source of good information our mission as a business is to support businesses with powerful images that they can market their brands with. And that mission extends to when our community is in crisis, since we have this line of communication up to people who trust us and know who we are, we're going to use that line of communication to grow our, our relationship and provide great and help and not ask them for anything yet. And once things are starting to go back to normal, then we let people know that, yes, we're in business, but we still continue to provide really good, helpful, useful content. Wow. So uh, for the PPA, are you doing the inspirational speaker? Are you the keynote speaker for imaging? Because that was <laughs> kick-ass. teaching a marketing class called Master Your Marketing on the platform at Imaging USA. So wow. I may have this, to this take will that all class. be part of it, I suppose. Okay, so back up just a just a little bit. He's been um, writing notes like crazy. No, this has nothing to do with what we just <laughs> talked about. 
we we talked about we were talking about that I had purchased a pre-con ticket. I was talking about Texas school, not about imaging. Oh, Texas school. That's right. That's right. We You're were talking Texas. about Texas at one point, and that came up. So that's what I was talking about, Gary. Well, we were talking about Texas because it's going to be PPA's imaging is going to be in Texas. Oh, right. that's right. We never okay. talked about. We didn't talk about Texas school. Right, okay. because Gary will be teaching at uh, Texas school. Right. Which is also in Dallas. Yes, in, yeah, yeah, I believe I'm also teaching at the Dallas PPA in November, or I'm supposed to. We'll see how what? everything goes. But yeah, I am uh, going to be doing a class there too. I, you know, I try not to overextend myself for teaching. You, you really can put yourself out there too much. And I just started a YouTube channel, so I feel like I'm obsessing about that now. But I will be in Texas uh, for uh, a, a few times this year. But you know, Texas is a, has a, is a great state. Has some great associations. Texas school is is absolutely unique and, and powerful, and so I'm happy to be a part of it. And uh, I do enjoy the people, and obviously the food. And I look forward to being able to teach. It, it, for look, we're just photographers, right? Like I take pictures of eight percent of the human body for a living, and. And so for people to write letters to you and emails to tell you that you're, you know, that they follow you and that they're, they're watching what you do and they're interested and thank you for creating that content or for the fact that anybody, that a whole room full of people would all sit facing the same direction and listen (laughs) to the words that are coming out of my mouth still blows my mind. You know, Um, I just genuinely and truly want it to be useful because I think time is the most valuable thing that people give to you. And I take that really, really seriously. And even if it's two hours of their life, 45 minutes of their life or, or, or five days of a workshop, like somebody is investing something significant in you that they cannot get back. So you had better make it worth their while. And so I think that's one of the reasons I like to teach. And I think I connect with students um, at these different courses a lot because I really do want to give them value. And I think that, that that's some of the feedback I get is that I act that I do and, and teaching isn't my primary job as much as I like podcasting and YouTubing and all that stuff. My main source of income is still my photography business. And although we, I'm not saying I don't make money on teaching, but it, it has never been my ambition to be a full-time educator of the photography business. I really like being a photographer. I really like running a studio, but I also really like teaching. So I kind of live in both those worlds. And the interesting thing about this is that the mission, the why statement of my business to empower brands and businesses is, to, is, is extended over into my teaching. It's the exact same thing that I do when I teach is I empower small business owners and brands by helping them grow. And that's exactly what I do in my photography studio now too. So I feel very focused on, you know, doing what I'm meant to be doing. It's the thing I'm most passionate about is small business. My parents are small business owners. My wife's parents are small business owners. And, you know, it's, uh, I think it's one of the most important things in the world that makes every community more interesting and better and more connected are the small businesses. And, uh, and that's, I think that's, you'll find success you're more likely to find success when you're doing something that matters to you. And, and I don't just mean taking pictures. I mean, if you're going to bother to make it a business, then make that business about something. Yeah, that's, and, and I've heard you speak a lot on different, uh, on your podcast and, you, you know, on different shows or whatever. And if you don't know Gary, Gary means what he says, you know, when he says he genuinely wants them to learn something and go away with it, he, he totally means it. He's not just out there for, 
you know, just to get in front of people. Although sometimes it comes across that way. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and I and when I mean it when I say I do not like Robert. <laughs> oh my God! I'm going to put him on mute. He doesn't realize I'm controlling the board, does okay. he? No, no. But so <laughs> if that makes you feel powerful, Robert, you can win that way. Go for it. Oh. So I'm just guessing, Robert. How are we? As far as the amount of time compared to Boo Ray's, uh, I actually got to go put my kids to bed. He's got yeah, to put his kids to bed. We got to wrap this up. I, so, I am interested in: Have we gone longer than Boo Ray went? No. Okay. Now, how short are we? Uh, like, uh, let me look it up. I think well, we're short, like five minutes. What I want to say, I, wanna ask look, you, I think we could do this, guys. Can oh, we do this? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All so right, I'm going to ask this. you: What are some best practices or best things that that a new comer to headshots that wanted to get into it just five things that maybe that they they should do you know to get started sure i would love to talk about this uh the first thing that you need to do is get out of the photography business and get into the business of photography that is the most important thing that you can do is to realize that you are a small business with a slow growth curve and your product is photography you are not an artist who happens to be trying to sell their work that's that's usually where people fail and the other thing is, is that you have to learn how to communicate with people who are on a professional platform. You do not have to convince people you're an artist in this world most of the time. If you're going to, at least the way that I do it, it you know, people enjoy and value brevity and, and economy and they enjoy professionalism and having a good time and all of those things. Not everybody wants to be white glove handheld through every process like your business your brand is about your clients your brand is how people feel about you and branding is all of the little things that you can do to control that and so you have to realize that you exist to serve those clients and so the first thing that you could do is realize you're who you're speaking to why you're speaking to them and that you're in a business not an artist. You're, 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 the art is the product, but the business is still the same. The other thing is you have to pay a lot of attention to your website. Your website needs to be built to convert. And if your website isn't converting, you're not going to be successful in the headshot business because people just, that's where they find you. You have to have good search engine optimization. And when they get to your website, they have to see headshots, not bellies, not babies, not weddings. They have to see headshots and they have to be able to act when they see those headshots they have to be able to hit a button to book with you they have to have a call to action and the ability to act when they see that the other thing is you need to make sure that your website contains every piece of information that they are going to need to make a decision to act because it is not weighed the same as hiring a boudoir photographer or a maternity photographer or a wedding photographer. It's not an emotional decision. And even if they pick the wrong photographer and it totally gets screwed up, it's not the end of the world. They can do it again. And it's not even particularly expensive most of the time. So you are, it, it's, there's not as much weight on it. Put yourself out there, get your information out there. Stop trying to force your client into funnels that make you comfortable. You have to make their life easier. Give them a frictionless experience give them the ability to pull the trigger and get what they need 
engage with technology, realize that most of the time, especially young people, people 35 and under, they want, they don't want to talk to a person until the, they have to. They would love to be able to solve all their problems just by clicking around, making the appointment, paying the bill, you know, getting all the information they need. If somebody has to, if a 28 year old has to pick up the phone and call you, it's usually they're going to be irritated. <laughs> like right. Phone calls are reserved for customer support most of the time in that generation. So keep that in mind. Um, I would say that the other thing is, is that your keep your cost in mind, keep your business in mind, do the math on everything. I know that's not the sexiest part of being a photographer, but if you want to be successful, you have to understand how much things cost, how much your time is worth, and then how to charge appropriately. And the rest, it will come to you as you go. And, and the rest, be sure to see Boo Ray and Gary and Imaging USA. Yeah. Yep. Also listen to their podcast at photobombpodcast.com. All right. And check out my YouTube channel, guys. I'm really, I'm all, I'm at 600 subscribers. I really want to get, I just started this like a month ago and I'm really dying to get this off the ground. So I'm putting some good stuff on there. So check it out. It's uh, if you go to YouTube and look for Gary Hughes or it's youtube.com slash Gary Hughes official, I think. Okay. And uh, where, where, I guess we'll, we'll get the links for you after the show, but the creative live Adorama, those, those other places that you've uh, done short little video webinars or whatever, right? Yeah, I've got a lot of online content. Seriously, all okay. you have to do is Google me, Google Gary Hughes, and, and you'll see. I, I, did, I just did this the <laughs> other day for this reverse search engine thing that I was looking at for an article for our podcast. And, yeah, if you type in my name, you will find you will find me everywhere, Creative Live, Adorama, PPAEDU, um, the whole nine yards. It's all yeah. up there. Okay. Outstanding. All right. Well, Gary, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We really appreciate all the insights. And uh, – Love the rabbit holes. Yeah, yeah. It was it was I like the rabbit hole too, Robert. <laughs> oh, that is outstanding. So uh, uh I think Jim is gonna do some kind of Star Wars like icon for the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well thank you so much. We really appreciate it. We're gonna go ahead and say goodbye and uh listeners stand for the uh, next next month is gonna be our money. Yeah. Money Thanks mark. for having me, you guys. I appreciate you both. All, All right. right. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Oh, that's good. Goodbye. That's we'll Goodbye. See you later. Okay. There we go. Which one of the buttons is it? Is it this one? I think so. <laughs>